Anybody enjoying that snow out there? Wow. That's much better than first service group. Anybody looking forward to the snow tomorrow? Anybody looking forward to minus 14 this week? Praise God. <laughs> Last week we opened up a brand new theme for the year. Lace them up. And hopefully you're doing that. And hopefully you're realizing that you have a race that God has marked out for you. And you're to run your race. Today we're going to look at what that race looks like. And following Christ can be hazardous to your walk and to your life. This race is difficult. This race isn't for the weak. This is for those who fully trust in God. And you will have things thrown at you. You will face things that you've never faced before. You'll have obstacles that you've never encountered before. And this race is difficult. And so as we walk through this race, we have to lean on Jesus. And we have to remind ourselves that we're trying to run this race the way Jesus ran this race. Sometimes people walk into your life or you see people who stood out in the midst of adversity. People who were able to rise above difficult circumstances. And they took what was handed to them, whether it was sickness or health or relationship woes, or just physical ailments, and things that come their way in their walk, and they handle it in such a way that they run this race, focus on Jesus, the author, the perfecter, the pioneer of their faith, and then everyone else sees it. There was a young man just recently in our sports world that was a Purdue Boilermaker fan, his name's Tyler Trent, died of cancer. And while he was in this journey, God gave him favor that he could connect with the Purdue football team. And as a result of his faith in Jesus Christ, God gave him a platform in his suffering to reach many people. In fact, one of which was Scott Van Pelt, who is a, a, a broadcaster for ESPN. I follow Scott Van Pelt because uh, as best as I know, he doesn't know Christ. And because of Tyler Trent's life, it impacted him in such a way that he recorded these words that I'll read later. Because Tyler stood above. He ran the race marked out for him in such a way that God got the glory, even if it meant his life. Take a look at Tyler Trent's story here. Fan. Son. Brother. Fighter. Inspiration, co-captain. Tyler Trent, the Purdue University sophomore whose battle with cancer stirred a football team and eventually touched a nation, has died. He was 20 years old. After osteosarcoma, a rare bone cancer, had attacked his body for the third time and forced him to withdraw from school this fall, Trent was diagnosed as terminal. In home hospice care, he shared his story with College Game Day, of the bond he'd formed with the Boilermaker team as a student, and of his unwavering desire to see them win their biggest game of the year at home against then number two, Ohio State. Immediate future in my mind is that Peru beats Ohio State. A week after that prediction, Trent traveled from home to watch his team, a double-digit underdog, take on the Buckeyes. He is in hospice at home and wanted so desperately to be able to come here and, and be a part of this night. Just to be here is a wave of emotions. Oh, touchdown! Touchdown! And every 
one is for you. Thank you. I feel like I can do anything with, it. with all the strength you got, boss. I can do anything behind you, boss. You got it. Trent had an especially close connection to Purdue's quarterback, David Blau, who visited, supported, and prayed with him alongside teammates while Trent fought through the season. To me, he looks, he looks like a boilermaker. He looks like somebody who's going to fight until there is no fight. It was that fighting spirit, that unflinching will, that captivated so many in the last months of Trent's life in his determination to raise money and awareness for pediatric cancer research. His battle resonated and reached farther and wider than he ever imagined. From his appearance on SportsCenter with Scott Van Pelt, to visits from athletes like Adam Vinatieri, from the letter he received from the White House, to his receiving the Disney Spirit Award. There's, you know, always a light at the end of the tunnel. And as long as you rely on your faith, things will, things will work out. Trent's courage in the face of mortality and his message of gratitude in the midst of struggle inspired donations to the V Foundation and the creation of a cancer research endowment in his name at Purdue. Tyler Trent's life has ended. His legacy remains. And while he never donned pads or caught passes, never scored a touchdown or made a tackle, he will be a co-captain named by his teammates in perpetuity for so many seasons yet to come. Scott Van Pelt said these words in regards to Tyler Trent. He said his legacy is that he had this death sentence and he smiled and fought and lived. He said certain people you come across, their spirit is undeniable. He radiated something that I was drawn to. As a dad, I was just FaceTiming my kids. Is it that? As a dad, as a father, you empathize with the idea of that? Or is it just a human being that you admire someone's capacity for strength and courage? I think it's all those things. It doesn't feel like an accident that we got to help share his story. He added, he radiated something that was rare, a grace and a courage that I admired ferocity in the fight and a spirit for life. After they beat Ohio State, he texted me about how it'd be a dream to work with me, Van Pelt said. I said, well, let's work together. It was simple. Two days later, he was on the show. Trent and Van Pelt co-hosted SportsCenter on October 25. After Trent's death last week, Van Pelt honored him on his show by leaving an empty chair on the set for Trent who he had promised had had a seat next to him whenever he was ready to co-host again. You see, there are people in our lives that walk into our lives and live out their faith in such a way, in the face of adversity, and in his case, death, but are capable and able to stand and say, even though this was the race for me, even though my race included death at the end, I will lift up my Savior, Jesus Christ. There are a group of disciples, 12 of them. They had just spent three years with Jesus. And Jesus is about to release them out 
and say, go and be on mission. And as he stands before these disciples, he gives them what is more or less a death sentence. And he says, if you're going to follow me, then this is what you will encounter. This is the race I've marked out for you. You see, many of us want to run from discomfort. Many of us are trying to find a way that we can end our lives in safe places. Many of us run from from places and people and community that requires us to be pushed or shoved or, or challenged or motivated. Many of us are trying to get rid of things in our lives that we don't like, but the reality is often it's those very things that shape us to be who God intended us to be. There's some disciples, and Jesus says... When you go out, don't take gold with you. In fact, don't even take a backpack with you. Just wear the clothes on your back. And if you go to places and they reject you, just wipe the dust off your boots and keep moving. But I want you to go. And you will face this. And this journey will be hazardous to your health. That's the race that God has marked out for us. What does it look like? Grab your Bibles. Turn to Matthew chapter 10. We're about to go on a hard journey. And if you need a Bible today, hold your hand up or ushers will put one in your hand. But turn to Matthew chapter 10, please. And we're going to read verses 16 to 28. This journey is hard. It's dangerous. It'll be hazardous to your health. Yet the most dangerous place to be. Hear me out. We hear this often in Christian circles. Here's how it goes. The safest place to be is in the center of what? God's will. Well, I got good news. The most dangerous place to be is in the center of God's will. I'm going to show you what I mean. Stand with me. Let's read this together. Matthew 10. Picture these disciples. If you can, just picture. Jesus standing in front of them. They're going out in pairs of two. And he says, before you go, before you go, before you go, I got a word for you. Before you go, it's, it's the brief, debrief time. You're sending out this short-term missions trip. You're sending out these people on this blitz. You and your family's going out to share Christ with people. You're about ready to go. And then dad steps up. The the leader steps up, Jesus steps up, and he says, hey, before you go, I want to remind you of where you're going and what this race looks like. And here it is. The same race for us. Read chapter 10, verses 16 to 28 with me. Ready, read. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to these Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will be not you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor the servant above his master. It is enough for a student to be like his teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? Do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. And what is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of them who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You may have a seat. Here we go. How about that one? 
Sign me up, Jesus. Where to sign up? Like, three strikes and I'm not out? No. You might die. Where, well, where can I sign up? Let me sign up for that mission trip. That's the race. Listen, listen, Christ followers. That's it. That's the race. That's what we signed up for. And we said, Jesus, I'm all in. It wasn't for us to run to discomfort. It wasn't for us trying to find ways to make it easier. It wasn't for us to find situations that we didn't have to lean on Jesus. It says, even your own children will rebel against you. They'll hate you. Have you put to death? You'll be flogged in the synagogues and on behalf of me. And if you acknowledge me in front of these people, you'll experience what I've experienced. Basically, Jesus is saying this. You have to go out, but you don't have to come back. Whoa. That's the race. That's it. There it is. That's the challenge on our lives. Jesus is looking at his disciples and says, you have to go out, but you don't have to come back. Do you know those words? You know where they come from? Coast Guard. Every time the Coast Guard is sent on a, a mission, their lead man looks at them and says, you have to go out, but you don't have to come back. That's what Jesus is saying to us. Then he says in verse 16, look what he says in verse 16. Here, here's the picture. I am sending you out like sheep among what? Wolves. By the way, the last time I checked, in the history of the world, no sheep has ever won a fight against a wolf. Never. It almost seems like insanity, Jesus. Are you sending us out to be slaughtered? Are you sending us out helpless? Are you sending us out and telling us that we might die? The reality is, is yes. That's part of the journey. That could be our walk. Yet at the same time, we got to remind ourselves of these truths. God has prayed for you. Yes, nothing can stand against you. Yes, nothing is impossible with God. Yes, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Yes, we are more than overcomers. And while all of these are true, God calls us to hard and difficult places and even places that we will be eaten alive. That's the walk. That's the race. That's the journey that God has for us. Yet, what do we do? We keep trying to remove all the hardship of the race. So instead of complaining and griping and whining in the process and saying how hard it is, Paul says, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. We get to be just like Jesus in this journey when hardship comes our way. You see, the center of God's will is very dangerous. Paul would later say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Look again at verse 17. Look what he says in 17. Here it is. He told the disciples, be on your guard. You'll be handed over to local councils to be flogged. Like, sign me up, Jesus. Can't wait. And on, account of, on your account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will be not you speaking, but the Spirit of the Father speaking through you. What often gets overlooked in this race is we might be sent out, but we're not promised to come back on this side of eternity alive. But listen, the good news is this. Even if we die for the cause of Christ, we will be more alive in the passing than we were in our death because we will be in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yesterday, I stood at the funeral of a, a dear brother, 83, two years old. 
He was a brother that, and his wife, Don and Ellie Moffat, had reached out to Ann and I when we were in college. We wanted to be connected to a local church, and so we connected ourselves to Fellowship Baptist in Warsaw, Indiana. We found ourselves in there, and there was this couple that, if you would have put us together, we probably would have never selected each other, and, and it was just one of those incredible God things, and we found ourselves in his Sunday school class, and he reached out to college and career, and he, he poured into us, and we have so many memories, and and when he passed this week, I got a call this week from his son, Carl. And unbeknownst to me, one of his desires in his funeral, that he wanted me to speak at his funeral. What an incredible opportunity that was. So I stood in this church yesterday that kind of sent us out. And I heard story after story of Don. And he's one of these guys that, that you probably would never put him on the platform and have him speak loudly, but his life loved people. One story they told that he was, his wife said he, he was going out for a cup of coffee, and it was before cell phones, and as he was going out for a cup of coffee, it was one hour, and he wasn't there. She was getting angry. Two hours, he didn't come back, and he didn't call her. Three hours and four hours, and she, she was upset. Where's he at? Why didn't he call me? Where is he at? She says he always did these kind of things. And he said five hours later, he came back, and she was like, where have you been? He says, I, was, I just went to Chicago and back. Like, what? Yeah, there was this hitchhiker in Warsaw, and he needed a ride to Chicago. He says, so I took him to Chicago, and he says, man, if the Lord gives you people, you just help them. And he said, when we, by the time we got to Chicago, he trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's been a great day, baby. <laughs> but that was Don. That was just a picture of Don. And as I spoke of him yesterday, I had some... Incredible memories, and Ann and I do. And, and I said these words that I really meant. I would give anything to stand in his shoes, to be my seat. Because he loved people, and he loved his God, and he wasn't afraid of death. Jesus is looking at these disciples, and he's seeing this, 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 this the starry eyes as he, he's preparing them. But think about this. Ask yourself this question. How does one prepare for this kind of race? How do you pre prepare for a race that you'll be flogged? How do you prepare for a race that you'll be arrested? How do you prepare for a race that your own children and your parents and your friends will turn their backs on? Why should I face that? Why is it even on, on the radar screen? How do I prepare myself? Are you, the better question, are you preparing yourself daily to run your race that is filled with hazards? You do hard things. That's how you do it. That's how you prepare. You open yourself up and say, God, I'll be part of that. God, even though that's not what I want to do, this is what I will do. It requires great courage. You let the trial refine you. You see, God is not promising that we won't die a gruesome death. Jesus knows what he's doing. He wants the world to know that they will go out even if they don't come back alive. Peter would later say this in 1 Peter. He would say this. Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who gives, who asks. But do it with gentleness and respect. How do we prepare ourselves with this kind of race? How do we prepare ourselves physically, intellectually, relationally, and spiritually to be ready to face flogging and persecution? How do we, how do we, we put ourselves in hard places. We run to places that people want to run away from. We allow ourselves and our children and our families 
to encounter hardship. We don't keep trying to get rid of things that cause pain. We don't keep trying to flee from people who are pushing. We surround ourselves with men and women who push us, who spur us, who challenge us, who, who, who call us out, who, who build us up, who spur us on. We put ourselves in environments that we're not comfortable with. Yet this world that we live in says, once you become a Christ follower, all is good. No, we elevate Christ in the midst of the pain, and we acknowledge that he got us through it. That's how we walk through it. I said this before, but as I was processing this message this week, and Ann and I were talking about it, and we read it in the message together. I encourage you later to read it in the message. Incredible translation there, how he translated this passage. Don't do it right now, but do it later. We were talking about our journey, and we were just discussing some of the things that, that Ann and I decided together to collectively go, and then our children jumped in, and they were part of it, and, and, and just this journey. And, and I've said this before, but... You know, we faced persecution before we were in ministry together. And you have too. And you heard some of that last week. But I have never, and I'll say this again, I have never had people hate me. Never. Until I became a pastor. I've never had people say the things they say against us until we became a pastor in their family. Our children experienced that. They heard all this stuff. They went to the schools, and they knew who their father was. So they experienced it too. And I am telling you what, it has been incredibly challenging. And it's been really hard. And we talked about it, even through some tears over the last couple of years, there were moments along the way where it was so hard for my wife so hard when she would hear stuff and she would see stuff that was said and then she would we would see people who were once loyal and then they, they, they moved on and for a variety of reasons and then they would say things it was just so hard but we kept coming back to this nothing compares to what Jesus went through nothing how do you so how do you prepare for that race you put yourself in hard places People often ask me, well, Jim, why in the world do you run outside? Why, why do you go out in the snow? Here's why I do it. Let me, let me just pull away and say that. Because if I am called by Jesus Christ to go to Siberia, I'll be ready. You laugh. I'm serious. And if my wife sends a signal, a 911 call, that she is out hiking or she is on a mountaintop or our kids are on a mountaintop and they need someone to rescue, they don't have to call rescue because Jim and, and husband and dad is coming to save them. I want to be able to be able to respond as best as I can to whatever the temperature is, whatever the circumstances are, whatever is thrown my way by the enemy and by God's grace know that I have properly prepared as best as possible to take the gospel to hard places. That's why we're here. But honestly, ask ourselves, how often do we retreat from it? We run to comfort. And Jesus says our race will be marked out in such a way that we could be flogged and killed and persecuted and filleted and everything he experienced. Then and only then do we know if we're being persecuted and hated and we find ourselves having families against us, then we know that we must be marked out on the race that Christ has us on. 
See, that doesn't make sense to our world. And so Jesus says, be as shrewd. Look what he says. Be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. What's the word shrewd mean? Clever, sensible, appropriate, no neon lights. The Jim Brown version is this. Don't be an idiot. Like, don't walk around and say, here I am. When you know, it could be difficult. I'll never forget the first time smuggling Bibles from Hong Kong to China. I remember putting them on our back and, and as our teammates. And I remember we're looking around at our team. We, we stayed in a guest house in, 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 in Hong Kong. And I remember the looks on everyone's faces. And, 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 and the missionary on the ground told us this. He says, if you get caught. And people are like, we're going to get caught? Yes, it could be possible. You could get caught. And questions just start, sir, what should we do? Where, who, what should we say? Where should we go? What happens? And all these lists of it. And he, he, he walked us through. This is what will happen. And I remember our first trip in. It was quiet as we were in the subway. And we walked along the streets. And I had Bibles in my backpack. And we got to the border. And there you hand your passport and they stamp it. And you don't go together because you want to be as shrewd as snakes. You want to say, who are those 12 people with backpacks all and all looking Caucasian and American? That's not shrewd as a snake. So we're, we're standing there. And, and so you just kind of look around and there's teammate. There's teammate. And you walk up and you hand him the passport. And then you look ahead and there's a guard standing there with an AK-47 at this scanner. And you realize you got a backpack with 40 Bibles in it. But you walk through it because Jesus would. You walk through it because it's Jesus with. Innocent, he says. Innocent as doves. Innocent means unmixed, different than the world. Holy for God, not yourself. Don't hold a sign that says, I'm trying to convert you. You build relationships. I remember we, while we were there in China, and our first time into China, we were going to meet these underground believers, and they asked us, to go and give them Bibles, and then they asked me to preach in this underground church. And, and I remember driving there, going there, and, and, and as we're getting to this place, we're whisked in, and they're pushing us in, they're saying, be quiet, be quiet. And we're sneaking back these hallways in this university. And I didn't walk with the signs and say, hey, I'm the guest speaker tonight. No. And we're walking back, and, and we walked into this room, and there, there was a couple Chinese Christians standing out the door, outside the door just in case authorities would come. And they said, if they come, run out that door. And I remember walking into this room, and there were these believers hungry, and they didn't care if they got caught. They didn't care if, if, if authorities came because they were hungry for God's word. And, and I remember when I walked in, I just started weeping. The presence in the, of God was so heavy in that room. And I remember as I began to talk and speak that they were so hungry for God's word and they were looking at the pages of scripture and they were like, I have a Bible. And, but I remember that moment because we were called to a hard place, but we didn't walk in without being as shrewd as a snake and as innocent as a dove. I remember our first trip into Cambodia and Thailand as a church. We went into rescue, and you, you gave and so that we could rescue orphans. And I remember our first trip in, we, we looked at it as a family, Ann and I said, let's just take the whole family. We want all our kids to experience third world experiences, and we want to make sure that they're tested in their faith, and they know what it means to, to see another world. And so we're just taking the whole family. Isaiah was nine, and Hannah and, and Josh were teenagers. And, and so we went as a family, and I remember we're over in Cambodia, and it's the first time they had been overseas, and 
and we're sitting outside, and Isaiah's body just begins to break out in hives all over his body, all over his his legs, his face. His lips are swelling up, and his eyes are beginning to swell shut. And I remember just sitting there and thinking, there's no pharmacy here. What will we do? And I remember Anna and I just asking Isaiah, do do you remember, did you eat anything? Did you touch anything? Was there an animal? Was it a food? And, And he's just sitting there, and his face is just just hives popping out everywhere, and there was no place to go. And, and so we pulled alongside him, and we circled as a team. We just prayed, please, God, please, God. We don't know what's happening to our son. Just, just Lord, bring healing to his body. And so a, a Cambodian came in and said, hey, I'm going to take you on a motorbike, and we're going to go get some, some medicine. And so we end up like, Doc, boys, you would have loved this pharmacy in Cambodia. Went there, and it's like there's just all these things, like they got... They got cotton balls in the top with all kinds of stuff inside. So here, take some of this. Okay? But I'll never forget Isaiah as a nine-year-old, as long as I live in the midst of this. He said, Isaiah, you're going to be okay, buddy? He said, Daddy, I'm okay. Jesus is with me. I say that to say this. It's those kind of experiences that shape us to be who God wants us to be. God has called us to hard places. A big part of stepping out is trusting in God. You see, every opportunity to be afraid is an opportunity to trust Jesus. Can I get one amen? Every opportunity to be afraid is an opportunity to trust Jesus. That's why in Joshua 1, 9, it says, be strong and courageous. Many of you recognize the name of J. Hudson Taylor. When I was a seminary student, I had to read 5,000 pages on J. Hudson Taylor, and my, and my life was changed forever reading about this missionary. He founded the China Inland Mission 100 years ago. During the terrible days of the Boxer Rebellion, when missionaries were killed and captured, he went through such agony of the soul that he could not pray. Writing in his journal, he summarized his spiritual condition this way, I can't read. I can't think, I can't pray, but I can trust in my God. You see, there will be times when we can't read the Bible. Sometimes we won't be able to focus our thoughts on God at all. Often we will not even be able to pray. But in those moments when we can't do anything else, we can still trust in the loving purposes of our Heavenly Father because it's in the moments that we're being tested that we can be a testament to God's faithfulness and His power and His goodness. We got to go there. That's why Solomon would later say in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding and He will make your path straight. Acknowledge him in all your ways. But ask yourself this question. How often do you retreat from pain? How often do you retreat from a situation where you'll be called and pushed harder and deeper and pressed into Jesus? Let me just speak for a minute. Men, what do we do? We don't like having people tell us what to do. And so we want to be in control of everything. And so we dare not place ourselves in a situation where we have to be told what to do. 
Because we've lost control. We want full control. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Release control to me. Walk this path, this chart, this race I have for you. And then and only then will you know what real running looks like. Will you really understand striving for the prize that's in front of you? Here's what I found to be true. Persecution surfaces as you get closer to the front lines. I want you to think about that for a second. Personally, I know in my own life, this is my life, and I believe it's your life too. When persecution picks up, when temptation surfaces with a familiar sin, I realize I've just walked into the front lines for Jesus Christ. You see, now that I know that, Now that I know that those fires that the enemy tries to start, those familiar places where he knows, like like if, 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 if our kids get sick as they grew up, nothing would rattle my world more than to know my kids were sick and I couldn't do anything about it as a father, as a man, that I had to walk through. And so I remember walking Josh through 25 trips to Raleigh and Cleveland Clinic and seeing hoses and these tests and him being diagnosed with an esophagus disease. And I remember thinking, we must be on the front lines. We must be on the front lines. We must be on the front lines. We had to trust in Jesus. So the moment your temptation surfaces, pause and say, wow, I've just entered the enemy's zone. And by the grace of God, we will push back darkness with light. Don't be discouraged by it. Know that somehow your life in some way is making a difference for the kingdom. And that's a good place. And Jesus says, it will be hard. Look what he says. I mean, just read the verses here. Verse 20 said, brother will betray brother to death. And a father his child. Even your own children will rebel against their parents. So take heart. Hear me out. Please hear me out. As hard as this is, know this. When it happens, know. You are in the center of God's will. You are in a dangerous place and the enemy has caught wind of it. And he's not happy with it. And he's going to try to knock you off course. But keep running for the prize. Jesus never backed away. You see, if you're running a race that has no hardship, then you've got to ask this question. Am I running the race that Jesus wants? Seriously, ask yourself the question. Is everything good and easy and safe and comfortable? And you've got to ask the question, then maybe I'm not in the race that Jesus has me in. The irony in all this is this, as we take the message to the world. We're taking a message and offering people unconditional love. We're taking a message and telling people there's a God that will never leave them nor forsake them. We're taking a message that you can have hope in your hopelessness. We're taking a message that that Jesus loves you, and in return, we get hate from them. (laughs) Like, the irony in that is sometimes just unbelievable. Peter and Paul later would say this, do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. Bless those that persecute you and curse you and pray for those that persecute you. Then he says this, look what what Jesus says next to his disciples. Read on, verse 23 says, when you are persecuted at one place, flee to another. And just prior to that in 22 says, you will be hated by how many people? What does it say? Everyone because of me. 
But the one who stands firm till the end will be what? Saved. So don't cave in when the heat is turned up. You see, the reason we're sent out is because if Jesus is not the answer to the human condition, then there's no answer at all. Jesus is the answer. And the reason we run the race is so that we can stand before God and say, Lord, I gave it my best. I took the skills, the gifts, the abilities that you had given me. I didn't retreat. I didn't end my life in a comfortable place. I was willing to go where others weren't willing to go because I want to be like you, Jesus. So he says, here it is. This is why we do it. Look at verse 24. Follow along. This is important. He said, he looked at his disciples. He said, hey, by the way, the student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. He says, it is enough for the students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called bells above, how much more the members of his household? In other words, this, sometimes we have this mindset that the Christian walk should be easy, filled with blessing after blessing, and we should have it better than Jesus. I'm going to be honest with you. How often do we think that? We should have it better than Jesus. We shouldn't have to go to the cross. We shouldn't have to not have a home to live in. We shouldn't have people persecute us. It should be different. Since Jesus walked, he made things better. Where do we get that from? We get it from American idolism. That's where we get it from. Earn your way to the top. Things will be better. But I see followers of Christ walking the path that Jesus walked, just as he did. The last time I checked, the servant is not above the master. The student is not above the teacher. Followers are not above their leader. We are not above Jesus. We should expect everything that Jesus had to endure. You see, very few stood by his side even at the end when he was ready to go to the cross, his own disciples deserted him, but later he restored them, and now he's looking at him and says, go, 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 go. Stand, be willing to die, be willing to be flogged, be willing to even look death in its eyes and say, listen, For the cause of Jesus Christ and all those people who don't know Jesus, I am willing to go to hard places. Then he says this. He said, basically, what else can they call you? He said, I mean, look at verse 25's graces. If the head of the house has been called Belzeb, Jesus was called Satan. There's not a curse word that you'll ever hear in the marketplace, in the workplace, from your brother, sister, son, daughter, whomever it is, your wife, whomever it is, your neighbor, for the cause of Christ that compares to someone calling you Satan. They called Jesus Satan. There's not a curse word that could ever be as bad as be calling Lucifer. Jesus said, hey, you'll be cursed. You'll be persecuted. You'll get FUs thrown at you because you stand for Jesus. But listen, hey, Jesus, he says, hey, I got called Satan. Nothing compares to that. No one is above their teacher. No one is above their master. No one is above me. Listen, if you want to follow me, then you're going to have to walk the walk and run the race that I did. 
Yeah, sign me up. Where's the sign up, Pastor Jim? Let's go, let's go. You see, somehow we got this misinformation that the walk should be easy, that we should run to comfort, and we should pull away from hard things. How often have you said this? I don't like doing that because it's so hard. That's really not what I would choose. It doesn't matter what you would choose. It matters what Jesus has already chosen for us. Come on, one amen? Yeah, we say that, but are you willing? You see, your enemies can take your life, but they can't touch your soul. What do you mean, Pastor Jim? Jesus said that. Look at verse 26. Look what he says. So he's looking at these disciples, and he says, So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will be made known. He said, What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight what is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the root. And then he says these words, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the what? Soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I appreciate the tenderness of our Savior here. Because he's looking at these disciples and they're like, whoa, we'll probably die. Whoa, I know what they did to Jesus. Peter, James, and John, and Matthew, and Bartholomew, they're looking at each other, and, and James' brother, and they're looking and think, wow, this is going to be hard. Jesus isn't with us anymore. You mean, you guys realize? And he saw the starry-eyed, glazed look, and he says, do not be afraid of them, because they might cut your arm off. They might lop off your head. You might even lose your legs, and you might end up starving, and everything they can do to your body could hurt, but they can never touch your soul because I live there. That's the picture. Every time I read this verse, I think of William Wallace standing with his men and driving back and forth and Braveheart on his horse back and forth. I think he must have read Matthew 10, 26 to 28. And I just picture him just driving back and forth, and he says these words. They may take your life, but they don't touch your eternity. And, and William Wallace said this, Hey, fight, and you may die. Run, and you'll live at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that? For one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. And Jesus is saying, they may take your life. They may lop off your head. They may take your son and your daughter's life. They may take your wife from you. They may take your job, your money, your, your health. They may even be able to slay you in front of others, but they can never take your soul. That's the picture. That's what keeps us going. And he reminds them. Here's why he reminds them. In verse 28, do not be afraid of them. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body and hell. You know who that is? That's God. He said, hey, revere, revere, respect, fear God. And follow him. 
and be willing to do hard things and quit trying to run a comfortable life and, and quit trying to pull away from, from being parts of communities and, and fellowships and, and people that require you to do hard things because it infringes on your schedule. We, oh, boy, that's a message in itself. Oh, that, 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 that affects my schedule and I can't do this. And So what? But they can never take your soul. But be afraid of the one who can and his name is God. You see, all men die, but few men really ever live. See, it reminds us how valuable we are to him. It's the savior of the world. As I was thinking about this week, I kept coming back to this truth, and and I'll share it with you today. And I was in tears as I was thinking about this. I really love Jesus. (laughs) You see, all my life, Jesus has been faithful to me. Like, there has never been a day in my life that Jesus hasn't been faithful to me. His grace has brought me to tears at times and his unconditional love and goodness to me in the hardest of times. I have known him as my father, God, for 50 years. He rescued me when I was just a kid Five years old. He saved my alcoholic father. He saved my single mom. He saved my stepfather. He saved my siblings. He saved my wife in college. He saved our children. Why wouldn't I want to give all for him? He has never let me down once. Why would I ever retreat from hard things when he was willing to endure the cross, even death on a cross. Then he says this to the disciples in verse 29. He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care? And even the very hairs of your head are numbered as he's looking at the disciples in their starry-eyed and glazed look. He says to them, But listen, guys. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. And then he says this. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also what before the Father in heaven. Then he says this. But whoever disowns me before others, I will what before my Father in heaven. Disown. You see, it matters not what the world thinks about you. We just need to tell the world that they need Jesus. Quit running from hard things. Quit running from comfort. And use your pain. Use your hardship like Tyler Trent did. Use your hard situation to trust in the Lord. And to know that even if it means everyone rejects you. Even if it means that your family rejects you. Even if it means that you die. You can know and die with a smile on your face. Because you know you're running the race he's marked out for you. Every once in a while, we need a message like this to give us a little bounce in our step. Why? Because the goodness of God is chasing us down all of our lives. Oh God, help us this morning. I 
I know that some of us, this message is really hard. And, but for others, it could be affirming. This is why I'm facing what I'm facing. I must be in the center of God's will. I must be running the race he's marked out for me. God helped them to endure. God helped them to stand firm. And for others, maybe we're recognizing that we've run to comfort and we, we don't want to be part of that, that women's thing or that men's thing or that youth thing or that children's thing because I don't like it and it, I've got someone pushing me and I like control my time and I like control my steps and, 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 and it, it's too hard, it's too difficult, it infringes on my time, it infringes on my schedule, it infringes on my life, it infringes on my marriage, it infringes on my family, it infringes on the workplace. But the truth is it should following Jesus. But God, we're grateful that, that you're faithful. And sometimes we just need to pull away and say, you're good, God. And your goodness has followed me all of my life. So God, I pray today that we be willing to do the hard thing. But may we always keep our eyes focused on the author, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ who endured the cross for us. And may we be willing to do the same, just like him. In Jesus' name, amen. Just sit still, please, for a moment. I encourage you to just turn off your phones. Don't be distracted. Put your pens down. You're about to hear a song be sung. I want you to listen to the words. And and as you're listening to it, just receive, maybe in a posture, you just kind of turn your palms at some point and say, God, I receive this truth, these truths. I, I believe in you, and you are faithful, and you are good. And sometimes we need reminded of this in the midst of the hardship that God is for us, and God is with us. And no matter what's being thrown at us, I will trust him. So just sit, and our worship leaders will give you a chance to respond partly way through the song and receive these truths today.